that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim not to have sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Good morning, everyone. My name's Josh. Good morning. If I haven't met you before, lovely to meet you. I'd love to meet you properly in person um, afterwards, but welcome to HTC. Uh, we are starting a new series, which is very exciting, the Life Series. And uh, today I'm going to be looking at Life Appeared. We see that in the first few verses of today's passage. Life Appeared. Eight and a bit years ago, Amy and my wife, our lives changed as life appeared in our household in the form of Sophie, our daughter. And then after that, Ezra and Phoebe. And I'll tell you, life appearing in that context made quite some difference. It changed my priorities, my sleep, my space. It brought joy. It brought tears and tantrums, mostly mine, some of theirs. But this appearance, it made quite the difference. And I want to say that as we look at this life appearing, as we look at Jesus appearing on earth and all that that means for you and me today and all that meant for the, for the early church back then and for us as the church now, the significance of that, the change in that is so much more significant than the little lives appearing in the Moxon household. And today we'll look at a few things about how Jesus appearing changes and helps us understand what our connection with God is like and what our connection with other people is like, even in the midst of sin. But really the, the buzzword or the thing I want people to take away, the thing I've tried to take away as I've looked at this passage is the word assurance. Being assured of all, of all who Jesus is, 
what that means for you and me and how that means that we can live and walk in freedom in all that we do as followers of Jesus, once again in the midst of sin and the reality of forgiveness and grace and all of these different things. And as we look at this book, um, it's worth noting that some of the sort of the context of this is that there's some false teachers who are saying a whole load of stuff about sin that isn't quite right. And John is really, really keen to point those things out and make sure we have a right understanding um, of sin. And we're going to see that in our passage a little bit later on. But it's, it's worth saying as well as we engage with this topic, that in the area of connection with God and with one another as the church, in the areas of sin and forgiveness and our understanding of grace, those are areas that so often I think when thought about wrongly or understood wrongly can really shake our assurance in who Jesus is and in who we are. Voices that speak really loud in culture, voices that can speak loud sometimes in, in friendships or whatever else it might be that can take us away from the truth of who Jesus says we are and who Jesus is himself. And, and John, the writer of, of this letter and also the writer of John's gospel, was a disciple of Jesus knew him, loved him, walked with him, really understood who he was. And he ends his gospel, and I think it's a helpful thing for us to hear, because he then writes this letter after that point, in John 20, verse 31. And this is his heart for us as we listen to today's passage as well. It says this, but these are written, the gospel, that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through him, through this belief, you may have life in his name. This is the foundation that we come to today's passage with. And as we look at the first four verses that we had read to us by Rosie just a moment ago, the early church, they had a battle as to whether Jesus was God or not, whether he'd always been God or became God at some point. And these, these, they had these difficulties around the human nature of Jesus and the God nature of Jesus. And these verses are John trying to highlight to them and to us now in no uncertain terms that Jesus was fully human, fully God. There from the very beginning, we read that in verse one, really here on earth, they looked at him, they touched him. Here with a mission to bring the possibility of eternity for you and I, but also relationship and connection up to God. Look at me uh, with me, if you will, in these verses. There's two times in verse three where it says the word fellowship. It talks about the word fellowship. And Jesus appearing back then for, for them and for us now is it's also about fellowship. Fellowship up with God, but also a cross with one another. The start of verse three, so that you, the church, also may have fellowship with us. It's John to others. Now me to you and you to me. This fellowship that we have alongside one another. Life appeared that we can be the church alongside each other. But also up to God. It continues in verse three that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're brought into that as followers of Jesus. I'm making two points today. The first point is Jesus connects us. Jesus connects us. Jesus appearing fully God, fully human, is the qualification that was needed to pay for the sins of the world, to be able to connect us to God and to bring us into this place where we have a shared mission with Jesus alongside one another, connection with God and connection with one another. And in the past few weeks, as we've just heard briefly from Jago, we've been looking at our vision series. And I think week one, we talked about choosing life, choosing life. And God here on earth gives us the opportunity to choose life. And when we say that we're choosing Jesus, we're choosing life in all of its fullness. That is the life that we're choosing. 
And we can choose again afresh, maybe for the first time, or afresh today to say, you know what? Jesus is who he says it is, and that changes things right now, and it changes things tomorrow. And the writer here, as you read these verses, these four verses we had on the screen just a moment ago, there's an excitement in that, that he is the word of life. He's writing to help the early church understand that Jesus always was, is, and will be forever, that there's this amazing relationship that can be entered into, the past sorted, the future sorted, and the present living with the Holy Spirit because of Jesus sorted as well, this present fellowship. And he writes at the end of these verses, to make my joy complete, to make our joy complete. And as we read these verses, maybe that is how we feel. But as we go into this next part of the passage, I wonder whether the joy almost begins to fade a little bit, especially as we look at some of the problems with sin and the things going on and how, quick, how quickly in our relationship with God can our joy fade? In our relationship with his church, can our joy fade? Is it always joyful? I don't know. But actually, I hope as we look through things today, we can see how when we have a right understanding of who Jesus is, actually we can walk in joy and assurance of who he is and who he calls us to be as well. And for for many of us, we, we know who Jesus is. We know the gospel, we repent, we turn to Jesus. Our desire is to live for him. And most of the time, we're making choices that reflect that. But actually, if we're honest, maybe quite a lot of the time, we do just feel a little bit scared or a little bit fearful or even sometimes terrified. We know the truth, but we're not living in the freedom of the ramifications of this truth. We're not able to walk in that joy or in that assurance in every way. It reminded me of um, my children on the swings at the park. Now, they seem to really want to do it, but I say for every single one of them, at the beginning, that journey was pretty tricky. They were terrified. They were clinging on for dear life. And as I tried to push them, assure them, it's going to be okay. I'm here. I'll catch you if you fall. It's going to be all right. They began to enjoy that. They began to enjoy the process of what it means to be on the swings at the park. And I wonder whether in our relationship with God, we can know the truth that maybe it's okay, but we're sort of clinging on for dear life clinging on the same journey that we could be on enjoying the life we have with Jesus, but we're clinging on. And maybe fear is a better buzzword than anything else. So let's have a look through the rest of this passage and and see the things that maybe can rock our joy, steal our assurance in Jesus. Let's get real about sin, about the impact of it, what that impact is and what it isn't, the place of forgiveness and, and grace in all of these things as well. As we look at verse five, six, and seven, do have the passage open. We're gonna go through it in order. I'm just gonna read those verses. We see another theme coming out of light and darkness. And I just wanna touch on that before we move on. Verse five, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And this is talking about the posture of our hearts and the trajectory of our walks with Jesus. It's an intent thing. And I say that to say, we all sin. Verses like, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God came to mind for me as I read this passage. But somebody who walks in darkness is living in a place where they're sinning, but they don't really care and they keep walking in that way. And there's no thought to say sorry to God or to come back to repentance. Can somebody, that you might ask, who's walking in the light sin? Yes, 
They can. The important thing is what happens when they do, what happens when we do. Are we quick to say sorry and turn back to Jesus? And as a follower of Jesus, somebody who has decided to live for him, we can identify as people who have chosen to walk in the light. Our status with God's secure, not because of the daily decisions we make, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Not about how hard we try, but what he has done for us. So how do we avoid getting trapped by sin? How do we avoid getting tripped up by it? Well, I think it's important that we're real about it. Real that it's there, that it's an option. And all of these verses, five all the way through to 10, do keep looking back at what I'm talking about. Help us to get real about sin. There are, there are three false claims that start, if we claim, in verse six, eight, and 10. They're the, the false teachers I was speaking about at the very beginning who have, have misunderstood some things, but are also teaching these things to the early church in this area of sin. Ways that sin can be misunderstood. And although they're very stark here and feel maybe a little bit potentially obvious to some of us, Actually, I think if we're being real about it, we'll see that these kind of thoughts and attitudes can really easily creep into the way that we see sin, our own sin, forgiveness or, or grace. So let's dive in. Verse six, first, if we claim. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. False teachers were sinning and saying that it doesn't matter because of grace. We can go on sinning and it has no impact. This is particularly to do with what they were doing with their bodies. They were saying, you know, these bodies are staying here, so we do what we want with those. They've misunderstood. The false claim, I suppose, was I can be in relationship with Jesus, but still walk in darkness. I don't have to put aside my sinful ways of living to be a follower of Jesus. And that just wasn't true, and it isn't true today. Sin spoils our relationship with Jesus. We need to be real about that. Verse eight, the second if we claim. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And this was to do with whether people had the capacity to sin. People saying, as, as somebody who now knows Jesus, it's not possible to sin anymore. Maybe less of an issue now, but if you are here believing that once you come to Jesus, you're no longer going to sin again, I've got bad news for you. You can and you will. And we can get complacent though, can't we, about what it looks like to, to, know, to know grace. And, and grace is amazing and we'll get there later. And forgiveness is full and we'll get there later. But it's not a reason to be complacent and think that we just can't sin or that it doesn't have a consequence. If you take those two together, verse 6 and verse 8, because Jesus is the light we can see our sin, it's revealed. It's a, actually, it's a hallmark of somebody who is walking in the light that you see your own sin at all because it's in contrast and you see it. Taking it seriously and realizing that it impacts on our relationship with Jesus, that we are people who have the capacity to choose to sin. The final if we claim. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Denying that we have done any sin at all. People were hiding what they were doing. They said, oh, I didn't sin at all anyway. They were lying about it. It's, it's hiding from God's a funny concept, isn't it? Because he can see everything and he knows everything. And yet we still, I think, so often have this thing in our mind or even in practice. Where we're like, well, I'll just hide that one from God. We can't. <laughs> it doesn't work. 
But I wonder whether as we, as we look at this, and you know, I said, I said the writer wanted this to speak about all of this to make his joy complete. And that joy is, is an aim here. Assurance is an aim here. But as we've gone through all this stuff about sin, maybe you feel like clinging on for dear life, onto the swings like my children. But I do have good news for you because not only does Jesus connect us, not like an EE broadband kind of connection that when you get to the top of the hill, you can't call anyone. I'm talking about a connection that can't be lost. And actually, that's, that's the second point. It's a connection that was won for us on the cross. Because if point one, Jesus connects us, and the second thing I want to tell you is that Jesus assures us that our connection can't be lost. Jesus assures us that our connection can't be lost. This assurance was won by Jesus as he hung on the cross in the place of our sin. We're assured not because of who we are or how hard we try or how good we are, but because of who he is. The end of verse seven, and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. So what do we do? How do we have access to this assurance that our sin, the things that we will inevitably do wrong, is not the end? How do we let it not spoil what goes on in our relationship with one another, but, but also with God. I think verse nine is the key as we look back there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We can get real about forgiveness this morning. His forgiveness for us, it's huge and it's whole. Jesus isn't scared of our sin. He draws close to us in it. I think so often when we mess up or when we do something small or big, we try to hide away a little bit or we try and feel it. Jesus isn't scared of our sin. He draws close to us in it. So we can be authentic where we are, sinful in thought or word. Later in communion, we're gonna say the Lord's Prayer together. This prayer that we're encouraged as followers of Jesus to, to say and the content of it is supposed to be a regular thing. You hear daily bread as a phrase and then you're told to, to say sorry for the things that you've done wrong and forgive others. The expectation, the benchmark is that we're gonna need to do this. That's what Jesus thought. And, and that's the reality that you see in, in the Lord's Prayer. And the false teachers have missed the point in this passage. It wouldn't be there if God wasn't expecting us to have to say sorry. C.S. Lewis helped me understand this. He said, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. If you're in a battle, small or big, there is total forgiveness for those who are in relationship with Jesus. Total forgiveness. It's only the enemy that would want to say otherwise. And if you feel like you're too far gone, you're not. Jesus paid the cost, so you don't have to. And let me finish this second point where we kind of started the first with this word fellowship. We see it two more times as we look at verse six and seven. Walking in the light of knowing our connection with Jesus is assured. We walk both with Jesus, verse six, fellowship with him, God, but also not just up, but again across. As we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The assurance that we have from Jesus helps us to commit in the same way to each other. Life appeared that we can know God and that we can know fellowship with one another. We can forgive people because we know that Jesus has first forgiven us. A quote that I always go back to in my mind from a, a course that was talking about freedom in Christ that I did when I was much younger is this about forgiveness. Is forgiveness is about setting a captive free and realizing you are the captive. 
So often forgiveness is more tricky or more difficult for the person that needs to forgive, not the person that needs to be forgiven, because often they don't know or don't care. And you're there sitting in turmoil. It's a freedom thing to be somebody who forgives others. Or for for me, in in my own marriage, I think that very often I don't see my own sin because I'm too focused on maybe the perception that Amy has done this, that, or the other, and I think she should be repentant. And we do that in our relationships, don't we? So often we so focus on others, even within the church, that we haven't stopped to say, actually, Jesus, where are you wanting to speak to me? Where are you wanting to highlight something in my own life? It's a challenge, isn't it? But one that I think it's worth being challenged on. The death and resurrection of Jesus assures us that we maintain connection with God despite our sin. Jesus assures us our connection can't be lost. Let's go back to the passage and read our final two verses again together. Two, verse one and two. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also for the sins of the world. If justice is giving people what they deserve then the penalty of sin is death. We deserve death. That's taking sin seriously. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. The writer doesn't want us to be in a place where sin before we come to Jesus has prevented relationship with God and when we come to Jesus has spoiled our relationship with Jesus. That's what the writer's heart is. So that's justice. Mercy. If mercy is not giving people what they deserve, then God showed his mercy for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's understanding forgiveness in its place. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, we read. The writer understands, and we can too, that we're forgiven when we repent, not given what we deserve. And then grace. Grace is giving people what they don't deserve life appeared that we may have life this is getting real about grace the reason we can come back to God in repentance the reason we can come back to him with our sorry to sin knowing assurance of forgiveness and walking in the grace that is offered to us but if anybody does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one we have an advocate a place of grace for all who turn to Jesus. Let me keep trying to convince you just for a moment. Your, your sin, when you come back to Jesus, when your desire and aim is to walk in the light, your sin only spoils, it doesn't disqualify. What we do though is we put categories in our head of, of how what we do, what we think, our past, our current battles make that process of coming back to Jesus either non-existent or far too slow. There is an aim here in this passage, of course, don't sin. But there is a reality that we will. But there's also a plan, and that's the advocate that we read about here. That's the place of grace. Grace, it shifts the narrative. Not, we have to come back to God because of sin. It's we get to come back to God because of grace. We get to come back to God because of grace. Imagine saving money to buy a present for a friend. Let's say you want to get them a gift that's going to change their lives. In a big way. I'm thinking Nespresso machine level of change <laughs> or air fryer level of change. And then you find out that the Nespresso machine, all the air fryer is sitting in a cupboard. And they're there drinking Kenko coffee and, dare I say it, using a normal oven. Grace is a gift. And it's a gift that we're supposed to use. 
Jesus wants us to. It's why he died. Getting real about grace is not allowing the enemy to keep us in the place of wallowing in our self-pity or our guilt. Jesus dies so we don't have to. He's shouting, come back, don't delay. It's why I died. I can't emphasize this point enough. As we take sin seriously, and we should, it goes hand in hand with taking grace seriously as well. It's God's way of encouraging us not to throw in the towel. Yes, we fail as disciples of Jesus, we will. But his advocacy on our behalf, it rises higher than our sin. His advocacy, it speaks louder than our failure. All is taken care of at the cross. Getting real about grace is about realizing it's bigger than we can imagine. Beyond just you and me. If you're discounting yourself from being part of this narrative, I'm too far gone, I mess up too often, look at the last verse, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is not just individual, it's big enough for the whole world. A picture that somebody shared in a prayer meeting about a year ago here at HGC's really helped me understand grace a little bit more. And the picture was of somebody standing holding a cup and it was sort of mainly full with water and they were enjoying quenching thirst but it kept spilling out and and it was never fully full. And it was talking about God's grace. It was like enjoying the grace of God, enjoying what that means. And then this person who had the picture said and then the picture, it spanned out and this person was standing in a lake. And that is the picture of what it means to know Jesus and to know his grace. It's not just what we can hold on to ourselves but we can be there standing in the midst of it. We need to increase the picture that we have of what God's grace is able to do in our lives. Another person this week said that they'd heard it described as somebody trying to drink the, the sea with a teaspoon. We have to have a bigger understanding. And Romans 5 verse 20, it says, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Jesus connects us and Jesus assures us that our connection cannot be lost. In a moment's time, we're going to come to respond by taking communion together. And I actually think there's a really apt response to this, of, of, of knowing all that Jesus has done for us and what we celebrate in communion, knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we can forgive others. We shared the peace earlier with one another. There's so much of this. Can I encourage you, as you come to communion, don't get caught up in, in the fact that you have to line up behind somebody or whatever it might be. Come and take this as a moment to say, Thank you to Jesus. Felix, one of our curates, is going to come and lead it for us in just a moment's time. But before he does, I'm going to pray for us, if that's all right. Why don't we stand to our feet as I do that? As we come to the words in communion, we get an opportunity to confess our sins. We're going to hear, he opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice of sin. If you're worried you're not connected to Jesus at all, don't wait. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Come to Jesus today, no connection with God, full life now and life forever with God. Worried your sin disqualifies you? The cross is your assurance that as a follower of Jesus, the cross pays the cost. Connection assured. Let me pray for us before we take communion together. Jesus, I pray for each and every one of us now that we will know the assurance that comes from being a follower of you not clinging on for dear life in fear or otherwise, but knowing the joy that comes from relationship with you. Where we need to bring our sin to you, we come and we say sorry, knowing that we're completely forgiven in you. Jesus, help us to lean into grace today.
Not cheap grace leading to apathy, but real grace leading to transformation and freedom. Help us to reclaim the joy that we can have in our walks with you. Minister to us now as we, as we share communion together. Amen.